Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister in Canadian history. And we're on part two, looking at every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every single Wednesday and Saturday. Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway, and that goes out every single Thursday. And Canada's Great War, which looks at Canada during the First World War, and that comes out every Sunday, and all are available on all podcast platforms. And I do all of them. I do the writing, the research, everything. So, any dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you directly on the air and on my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. If you like the episode, please consider giving it a five-star review. I'll make sure again I thank you directly on the air and through my social media. Last week, I talked about John Bracken a former premier who became the leader of the Progressive Conservatives from 1943 to 1948. Today, we have another premier, George Drew, who served as the premier of Ontario during the same years Bracken led the Tories. It was Drew who would come along to replace Bracken after splits in the Tories began to appear in the late 1940s. George Drew was born to Annie and John Jacob Drew in Guelph, Ontario on May 7, 1894. His grandfather, George Alexander Drew, for whom he was named, was a member of Parliament for the Liberal Conservative Party from 1867 to 1872 and from 1878 to 1882. The family itself had come from the United Empire Loyalists who immigrated to Canada from Boston following the American Revolution. When Drew was 10, his father would often drive him to Conservative meetings throughout the area, cementing a love of politics very early on. In 1910, at the age of 16, Drew joined the 16th Battery Artillery in Guelph. And as a young man, he would attend the Upper Canada College and graduate from the University of Toronto. And he would also study law at the Osgoode Hall Law School. But his studies were put on hold in 1914 when he chose to enlist to fight overseas. At the time of his enlistment, he stated he was a student, and he'd be assigned to the 11th Battery as a lieutenant thanks to his previous experience with the military. Sent overseas in May of 1915, he would command the 64th Battery by 1918. In 1916, he was severely wounded in battle, and a notice was published in several papers on July 25, 1916, listing a George Drew as wounded. A piece of shrapnel had shattered his left arm near the wrist, resulting in 13 bone grafts. The wound was bad enough that he had to spend two years in the hospital as a result, and throughout his life, the arm would mostly be useless. After the war, he had reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel with the 64th Battery, Canadian Field Artillery, and he would eventually be given the honorary title of Colonel. He would command the battery in Guelph until 1929, at which point he took command of the 11th Field Brigade in the community. In 1920, he was called to the Bar of Ontario. And in 1921, while living in Guelph, he would serve as an executive for the Guelph War Memorial Association, and he was instrumental in having a war memorial built in Guelph. One year later, he was elected as an alderman on town council. In 1925, he would make his first big move into politics, 
when he went from being a counselor to the mayor of Guelph. At the age of only 31, he was the youngest, and likely remains the youngest, mayor in the history of the community, and at the time he was the youngest mayor in Canada. He would serve as mayor of Guelph until 1929, when he left to become an assistant master, and then a master of the Supreme Court of Ontario. During this time, he would also become a regular contributor to Maclean's magazine. His first article, printed on July 1, 1928, was titled The Truth About the War, which criticized the American belief that they had won the war for the Allies by entering it in 1917. It produced a flood of congratulatory telegrams from across Canada. For the next several years, he would routinely write articles about the war, and after a series of articles on profiteering and arms manufacturing, the League of Nations Secretariat in Geneva received so many letters that they started to call the mail today's attack of Druitis. In 1931, he was appointed as the first chairman of the Ontario Securities Commission, and he would serve until 1934 when the Liberals came to power in Ontario. By this time, Drew was eyeing provincial politics. At the time, the Conservative Party of Ontario was at a low point politically. The party had been in power from 1923 to 1934, but they were now dealing with a loss of an astounding 73 seats in the 1934 election as the Liberals came to power. In that election, the Conservatives lost four out of every five seats they had won in the previous election. Drew would run for the leadership of the party in the 1936 Conservative Party Leadership Convention. On the first ballot, he finished second with 480 votes to 782 for Earl Rowe. On the second ballot, Rowe increased his count to 1,005 to take the leadership of the party. But Rowe would not forget Drew, and he would reward him with the position of provincial organizer of the party. But that position would not last long as Drew broke with the party when they opposed Premier Mitchell Hepburn's attempt to break the Congress of Industrial Organization's unionization attempt at the GM plant in Oshawa. The year that he failed to get elected, he would marry Fironza Johnston, a manager with the Metropolitan Opera Company. Together, they would have two children, and the couple would often spend a great deal of time together on the election campaign of the 1930s and into the 1950s. In 1937, he ran for the first time to sit in the Ontario legislature, but he would be unsuccessful. Rowe would also lose his seat in the election that saw the Conservatives only gain six seats and once again fail to form a government. In that election race, 30 of his old army comrades came from as far away as Montreal and Kingston with cars to put at the disposal of Drew and his supporters. According to those around him, Drew was moved to tears by this gesture. In 1938, with Rowe now out as leader of the Conservatives, Drew ran for the leadership of the party once again, and he would easily defeat his opponents on the first ballot, picking up 796 votes, more than any of his other three opponents combined. In his speech to the delegates, he would say, quote, The past is past. We look to the future. End quote. He would add, quote, We are a united party. There has been today an evidence of interest that should begin to see the end in Ontario of the disastrous type of government we've had in the past few years. End quote. Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King would write in his diary after hearing Drew had won the leadership, stating, quote, Everything considered, he is perhaps the best man to fight Hepburn and to expose his shortcomings. He is, however, a terrible jingo, very narrow and extreme. End quote. Now leading the party, he then ran in the 1939 by-election in Simcoe East, 
and he reached the legislature to serve as the leader of the opposition. I fully appreciate the very great honor which has been conferred upon me. It is also a great responsibility. If I am to succeed, I must have your help and support. I do think that without regard to our political views, we must all cooperate, as we never have before in the past, to give to the unemployed work and to give to the youth faith in the future of this country. I assure you that I will at all times welcome any suggestion you may care to make, and probably from those suggestions, some practical results can be obtained. We do live in a great country. It is your job and it is my job to work together, to, everyth to do everything that we can to give the young and the old confidence so that they may say, I believe in British democracy. I do believe in the future of Canada. Hepburn, likely seeing Drew as an easy target, opened the session of the legislature on March 8, 1939, stating, quote, Mr. Speaker, we used to have the rowboat. Now we have the showboat, end quote. Drew did not respond to the comment, but the next day produced an article he wrote for Maclean's in 1936, stating that the Liberal Party had no new ideas. After then being accused by Hepburn of using his position as a federal employee at the time to criticize the government, Drew responded with, quote, I wasn't taking advantage of my position, and I wasn't taking advantage of anything else. I was simply exercising the right and privilege, which is everyone's, of using my spare time at night to study the affairs of this province, something that other members of this house might very profitably do, end quote. The comment resulted in applause from the gallery, and Hepburn soon saw Drew to be a worthy opponent in the legislature. Despite this, and due to Drew's good looks, athletic build, and stiff posture, Hepburn often called him the Miss Canada of the legislature. Drew's physical fitness was something very important to him. Throughout his life, he would maintain a strict weight, and in the 1930s, was known to run against trains in order to keep his weight down. Later in his life, when he gained 15 pounds over the winter, he quickly began to diet to lose the weight. And throughout his life, he played sports, beginning with football and track as a young man, and transitioned into squash, tennis, and golf as he grew older. Another aspect of Drew that many were impressed by was his stamina. He was set to often stay up until 4 a.m. chatting with his army buddies, only to be fresh and ready for work at 8.30 a.m. that day. For his drinking, he would drink moderately, and never during Lent. One interesting story about Drew comes when he was supposed to appear in court. He had slipped and broke his war-injured arm an hour before the court appearance, but he would appear in court with his arm unset and spoke for 20 minutes. Around this time, the Ontario Liberal Party was beginning to feud heavily with the Liberals on the federal level, who were led, of course, by William Lyne Mackenzie King, the Prime Minister of the time. At one point, Hepburn compared King to Hitler. This feud would cause various crises that would lead to the resignation of Hepburn and the collapse of the Liberals. In the 1943 election, the Conservative Party had adopted the name of the Federal Party, the Progressive Conservatives, and won a minority government. The Liberals would lose 48 seats while the Conservatives picked up 15 seats to form this government. Drew now found himself as the Premier of Ontario. Seeing the mood of the times, Drew ran on a left-wing platform that promised free dental care and universal health care. While his government did not implement either of these, his platform moved the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party more towards being moderate. In July 1943, 
Drew released the 22-point program, which promised to improve vocational education, cut school taxes, increase allowances for mothers, implement a house program, provide public service jobs for veterans, and support fair labor negotiations. The Globe and Mail would say of the platform that it was, quote, the finest social document in Ontario's history, one which should be read, studied, and thought upon by every citizen, end quote. One thing implemented by the Drew government was the Drew Regulation, which made it a requirement that all schools in Ontario have one hour of religious instruction each week. This measure caused controversy due to the fact that the Christian faith was the religion that was taught during this hour, and this led to accusations of anti-Semitism by the Ontario Jewish community. As a leader of the province, Drew was heavily critical of the King government in Ottawa, attacking his leadership in the war effort and criticizing King for not implementing full conscription in 1944. But through all of this, Drew was also known to have a very good time. At the Dominion Provincial Conference that year, a party thrown by the very anti-Drew Ottawa press gallery, Drew showed up first, drank his share, and was the last person to leave, endearing himself to several individuals who had been his critics before. The 1945 Ontario election would come only a month after the end of the war in Europe, and Drew would shift tactics to run a red-baiting campaign against the Socialist Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. The material used for drumming up a red scare against the party came from the Ontario Provincial Police's Special Investigation Branch and Agent D-208, also known as Captain William Osborne Dempster. He was supposed to be investigating wartime saboteurs in 1943, but that year in November he started investigating opposition politicians in the legislature. Ted Joliffe, who led the CCF, made accusations in a speech on May 24, 1945, and in response, Drew appointed Justice A.M. LaBelle to lead a royal commission to investigate the charges. The commission found in its report, released well after the 1945 election, on October 11, 1945, that much of what Joliffe charged was indeed true, but stated the Premier did not have a secret police reporting to him. This was due to lack of evidence, and it would be another 30 years before the evidence was found, long after the case was closed and Drew had passed away. In the end, the Conservatives gained a majority government, picking up 28 seats while the CCF fell to third place amid the red-baiting campaign of Drew, losing 26 seats and reducing the party to only 8 seats. One of the main projects for the Drew government now was to spend $400 million over the course of 10 years to convert the Ontario electric grid from 25 cycles to 60 cycles to standardize it with the rest of North America. Drew's government also wanted to take advantage in the growth of immigration following the Second World War. Ontario would set up immigration offices in the United Kingdom and offered cheap charter flights to 20,000 British immigrants to come to the province. This is considered the first mass migration by air in world history. As for why Drew focused on British immigrants, he would say the British were, quote, the right class of people, end quote. His government would also put more money into roads and it increased the share of the province's education spending from 15% to 50%. One of the more controversial choices during this time was Drew's decision to allow cocktail bars into Ontario, which many stated was because Drew liked to drink too much. Thanks to these efforts and the base of the party that Drew helped to build up, the party would lead the province for the next 42 years until 1987, 
over the course of six progressive conservative premiers. Despite this, in the 1948 election, which the Tories won a majority in, Drew would actually lose his riding to William Temple of the CCF. Drew would blame a future communist takeover of Ontario on the failure of its constituents to re-elect him. Now at this point, Drew could have just run in a by-election and remained as premier, likely throughout the 1950s. But instead, he decided to focus on federal politics. In the 1948 Progressive Conservative Leadership Convention, Drew went up against John Diefenbaker and Donald Fleming for the leadership of the federal party. In his speech to delegates, Drew called for stronger ties between Quebec and English Canada and warned against the centralization power in Ottawa. Most expected that this convention would be an easy win for Drew, and that is exactly what it was. Drew picked up 827 votes for 66.6% of the vote, which was over 500 votes above second place Diefenbaker. Grattan O'Leary, who was at the convention, would say, quote, Arriving in Ottawa for the 1948 leadership convention, Drew came in like a conquering hero, usually referred by the cynics in the press gallery for visiting movie stars. End quote. King would write in his diary the following day, quote, I said at once that the result was what we had expected, pointed out the similarity of the vote to that which gave Saint Laurent his election and Gardner in power their respective positions. End quote. King would then write about his worry about a win for Drew meant for Canada, stating, quote, I cannot overcome a feeling of sadness of what I fear is a consequence of Drew becoming leader of the Conservative Party. He will revive all the old Tory spirit in its hatefulness and bitterness, something I've been able to prevent in my years in office. He will be worse than either Meehan or Bennett. End quote. The next task for Drew was to get into the House of Commons, and he would run in a by-election in Carleton for his seat, but the federal-level CCF wanted to defeat him for his previous actions against the party in Ontario. Bill Temple, who had taken Drew's seat in Ontario in the provincial election, was brought in to speak at a meeting in Richmond where Drew and his opponent, Eugene Forsley, were speaking. Temple would make accusations against Drew, stating that he was a tool of the liquor interests, and he also questioned the sobriety of Drew. Then, Drew, mishearing Temple, thinking he called him dishonest, flew into a rage and the two men had to be restrained before they could begin hitting each other. King would write in his diary on December 13, 1948, quote, For the Liberals to meet with defeat there in the first by-election as between St. Laurent and Drew is a serious business, especially in the light of Drew's behavior at one or two of the meetings. End quote. On December 20, 1948, Drew would win his by-election by 8,000 votes, and with that win, he became the leader of the opposition. Drew immediately took on an antagonistic approach against the Liberals in stark contrast to the more cooperative Bracken. On the first day of the parliamentary session, Prime Minister Saint Laurent introduced a motion and Drew immediately found a flaw in it and forced Saint Laurent to withdraw. When the throne speech was given, Drew called it inadequate. He then spent an hour and 45 minutes where he would lecture the Liberals on the faults in centralizing power in the federal government. The success that Drew had in provincial politics, though, would not translate to success on the federal level. McLean's would write in 1948, quote, There are no unbiased opinions about Lieutenant Colonel George A. Drew. He has been called conceited, arrogant, aloof, humorless, lovable, inspiring, dynamic, and bashful. His critics say he has difficulty unbending, 
Yet, he can stand around the piano at a military slag and roar out Cthusalem, the harlot of Jerusalem, with the best of them. End quote. The issue for the Conservatives was that Drew was abrasive, while Louis Saint Laurent was affectionately called around Canada Uncle Louis. During the election campaign in 1949, Drew tried to find an issue that would capture the public imagination. In his first campaign speech, he would announce the start of his fight to save Confederation by working with provinces rather than centralizing power in Ottawa. The next day, he attacked creeping socialism in Canada, and on May 26, 1949, he gave a national radio broadcast where he proposed a national health program, old-age pensions, and family allowances for every child. He would say, quote, The vote on Monday will decide whether our public affairs are to be directed by an irresponsible bureaucracy, or whether we are to return to the democratic principle of governments of the people, by the people themselves, through their elected representatives. End quote. In the 1949 election, the Progressive Conservatives under Drew fell 24 seats, while the Liberals won the largest majority in Canadian history to that point. In a poll after the election, when respondents were asked who did the best job for his party, 62% chose Saint Laurent, while only 9% picked Drew. Major reasons for this lack of success in that election came down to the fact that Drew had called French Canadians a defeated race, and his support of conscription in the Second World War did him no favours in the province, where many still remembered the conscription crisis during the First World War. When Queen Elizabeth II was coronated, Drew would also become the first man to be made a privy councillor while also serving as a leader of the opposition. The Ottawa citizen would describe Drew's methods of speaking in the House of Commons, stating, quote, He seldom made a poor speech. His common statements usually took hours to prepare, but he always had the gift of making fluent, impromptu talks. End quote. During the election campaign in 1953, Drew promised that his party would cut $500 million from government spending, and he would make sure more of Canada's raw materials were processed by home industries, and that communism would be attacked and countered with stricter laws. The problem with saying he would cut government spending by so much was that Conservative candidates could not make any promises to increase spending in local areas. In the 1953 federal election, the Progressive Conservatives picked up 10 seats in the election, but failed to oust the Liberals or even reduce them to a minority government. In Quebec, the Progressive Conservatives picked up only 4 of 75 seats, an increase of only 2 from the previous election. By this point, there were calls in the party to replace Drew as leader, John Diefenbaker would actually stop such an attempt in October of 1953 when the British Columbia Progressive Conservative Association told him they had two resolutions expressing non-confidence in Drew and demanding a convention. Diefenbaker told them to tear up the resolutions and suppress the whole topic. He would say, quote, Disloyalty of any kind would ruin any party. End quote. The irony, of course, is that Diefenbaker would be ousted from the party over a decade later. Following a near-fatal attack of meningitis that put him out of commission for three months in 1953, Drew would resign as leader of the Conservative Party on September 21, 1956. In his resignation letter, he would write, quote, Although the doctors have assured me that in a few months I shall be restored to full health, they have also advised that it would be extremely unwise for me to take on the heavy strain of a session and an election campaign so soon after my illness. End quote. Drew's wife would state, quote, Today, I'm just a private citizen and it's heaven. He is wonderfully well, 
he has made wonderful improvements. End quote. He was succeeded by John Diefenbaker, who had been trying to gain the leadership of the party for 16 years by that point. Earlier this month, the Coliseum in Ottawa, the home of the Central Canada Exhibition, played host to the 2,000 members of the Progressive Conservative Party meeting to choose a new national leader. After eight years at the job, George Drew had been advised to resign by his doctors. At 62, Mr. Drew retired with 35 years of public life behind him. For five years, he was Premier of Ontario. And though he lost to the Liberals in three federal elections, he is credited with having brought new vitality to the party, both inside and outside of Parliament. It was a scene full of emotion indeed, as Mr. Drew spoke his last words as leader of the party. Words utterly fail me to express the emotions that are in my mind and heart as you give this unbelievably warm response and extend this welcome following the all too generous words of my very dear friend, Dratton O'Leary. Mr. Drew's successor on the first ballot, John Diefenbaker, MP for Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and the party's foreign affairs critic. And soon after taking over, Diefenbaker led the Progressive Conservatives to the largest majority in Canadian history, ending 22 years of liberal rule in the House of Commons. Just prior to his resignation, Drew would be involved in one of the most contentious issues in Canadian parliamentary history when he clashed with the Liberals over the decision to invoke closure in the debate over the Trans-Canada Pipeline. He would call the day that closure was invoked Black Friday, and this fight over the issue would lead to the Liberals losing the next election and bringing in Diefenbaker. From 1957 to 1964, Drew served as the Canadian High Commissioner to the United Kingdom, and even during this time he did not lose that fire that made him so well known in Canada. When a British TV program said that Canada was becoming increasingly dependent on the United States, Drew attacked the program so strongly in a speech that the Daily Mail began calling him the Angry Canadian. From 1965 to 1971, Drew would serve as the first Chancellor of the University of Guelph. In 1965, his wife would sadly pass away, and he would remarry one year later. In 1967, he was one of the first individuals to receive the Order of Canada. In November of 1972, he would suffer a heart attack. His condition would continue to worsen throughout the remainder of the year and into January, and he would remain in the hospital beginning on November 19, 1972. On January 4, 1973, Drew would die of heart failure at the age of 78. He requested not to have a state funeral and instead had a public family funeral in Toronto. Drew died only eight days after former Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson. Flags were flown at half-mast on federal buildings in Ottawa and throughout Ontario. Ontario Premier William Davis would say of Drew, quote, To those of us in politics and public service, Mr. Drew remained throughout his notable career a personality of high ideals and exemplary behaviour, end quote. His successor and the man who rode the wave that Drew started to become Prime Minister, Diefenbaker, 
would state that Drew was one of the three or four greatest Canadian parliamentarians of the past century. Governor General Roland Michener would say of Drew, quote, From my association with him in the Ontario government, I can testify to the energy and determination with which he pursued the causes in which he believed and to a very good effect. His was a full life of many accomplishments which will be recorded with appreciation in the history of our times. End quote. One of the most touching comments came from the man who clashed routinely with Drew, E.B. Joliffe. The former leader of the CCF in Ontario would state that if not for health, Drew would have been Prime Minister instead of Diefenbaker, and that, quote, because of his hard fighting in politics, he was sometimes misunderstood. In fact, he had some very human qualities, including shyness and self-consciousness, end quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we're looking at William Rowe. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from History of St. George's Parish, Canadian Encyclopedia, The History of Guelph, Time Magazine, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, TVO, Ottawa Journal, Regina Leader Post, Vancouver Province, The National Post, Maclean's, and Dynasties and Interludes. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.